0: all right good morning sit down <laughs> we're wrap this up Carl so. hey it's good to see you my name is Derek as uh, Haley said I'm the pastor here and so if you're new with us welcome aboard and we're closing down a, a pretty long journey through uh, the Lord's Prayer we've been teaching through each of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer what those mean what what are we doing when we actually say them and all of that. If you're unfamiliar with the Lord's Prayer, as I've said before, it's right behind me. And you can just look at that if you would like. But that's what we've been doing. It's just going from phrase to phrase to phrase. And uh, it's a prayer, by the way, that Jesus gave his disciples because they asked him to teach them to pray, which was a really interesting question on their part because they were Jewish men. They'd been praying since they were children. They knew how to pray. But yet there was something about the way that Jesus prayed uh, that prompted his disciples to, when he finished praying... For them to say hey teach us to do that and so we have this prayer as a result of them seeking a better and deeper and more effective prayer life and so these phrases that make up what we call the lord's prayer uh, are very very interesting in that there's a lot of theology in there, there's a lot of language in there that helps our Frame our prayers if you don't know how to pray Jesus is essentially saying just say these things and it'll grow on you that's part of what the purpose is behind saying pre-written uh prayers I mean it's not disingenuous to do that it actually gives our prayers language and uh and there's great great theology in uh, the Lord's Prayer about who God is his character what he's doing in the world etc the other thing real quickly before we get into the the last part here is uh and this we said this last week The prayer, if you look at each of the phrases, these are not things that depend on us. And so all of the things that we say in the prayer about God's name being holy, about his will being done, about his provision, about forgiveness, about uh, delivering us from evil, like these are not things that necessarily depend on us. These are things that God is doing anyway and will continue to do whether we want him to or not, which raises a question, why do we even pray about these things? Well, One of the things that's really difficult uh, for us, particularly as Americans, to think about when it comes to prayer is prayer actually isn't about getting something from God as much as it is about getting involved with what God is already doing. Prayer is, at its best, aligning my life with the movements of God, and prayer is essentially saying, give me the strength to do what you're already doing, to participate with you in the world. So when you read the Lord's Prayer, when you say the Lord's Prayer, we'll say it before communion again today together. That's what we're doing. We're essentially saying to God, hey, the thing that you're doing, we want to be a part of that. And prayer is sort of a pathway uh, into that. All right? Thank you. I knew you would do it. I knew it. I love this guy. All right. Uh, So last week we talked about the word amen. And for those of you who thought that was it, uh, it's not. We're going to back up and look at this phrase that takes us to the amen, which is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Our artist uh, did the, the great thing of using the word thine, so we like that word as well. So we'll say it that way, even though on the screen I think it's yours. But let's all say this together. Here we go. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, right? So this is called the doxology. Say the word doxology, which is actually two words. It's doxa, which means glory, and there's logia, which means sayings, or the words comes from the word logos, which just means word. And so doxology means words about glory, or glorious sayings, or the sayings about the glory of God. And so a doxology isn't just one thing, although this is a doxology. A doxology is just kind of thing that transcends throughout history where we find, both in the Bible and then in church tradition, these endings to prayers, corporate prayers, where they have some kind of glorious saying or sayings about God's glory. It's a way of wrapping up the prayer so that it's not about you, but it's about God. It's about wrap, it's the way of wrapping up a prayer, both corporately and privately, to where I'm not the focus anymore, but everything gets pushed back pushed back to God. So it's like the doxology, the glorious sayings or the sayings about God's glory is a way for us to recenter, as it were, or to uh, change gears before we head back out the door and to remind ourselves that God is the one who, uh, as it says on the screen or it did earlier, has the kingdom and the power and the glory, not me, but God. So these these phrases, the, the phrases that uh, make up doxologies are about that. Maybe you've seen some of these before. I've just got a few examples for you of some doxologies that you may be familiar with, but one of them is, of course, in the name of the Father and the Son and the what? The Holy Spirit. This is a really common doxology at the end of a prayer. It's, it feels like just the thing you're supposed to say because that's how you get to the amen. I mean, you can't just say amen. You've got to say something about in, in the name of the Father and the Son or it doesn't work or something. I think people think that but, uh, so this is one, or there's another one that's actually called the doxology, it's praise God from whom all blessings flow, Do you know the next line, praise him all creatures here below, you guys are just mumbling, you don't know, praise, hallelujah, Jesus, church, bring a friend, like, I don't know, so, uh, (laughs) that's it, right, oh, and Bible, Um, and don't have sex, Those those are the church, those are the church things. But praise God from whom all blessings flow. Again, this is a a doxology. Um, In the Anglican tradition, on the end of the collective prayers, there's always this phrase where it says, um, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Spirit, forever, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So when you pray in the Anglican tradition as a church, you end up saying this at the end of almost every prayer. In some form, there's this recognition that it's, jesus our lord who reigns with the holy spirit one god forever and ever there's some other ones as well like uh, amen so where are we going to eat maybe you've said this one before um or if you have kids amen you go get the kids uh or as i used to say a lot in high school in church amen is it over like are we done so did you like those yeah. okay first service they hated them but it's all right um So yeah, so the question is, uh, back to the actual doxology of the Lord's Prayer, for, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What does this mean, and what do we mean when we say it, or what are we doing when we say these words? As with the amen, this phrase is not in the original prayer. If you open to the Matthew version or the Luke version, it's not there. They both end with and deliver us from evil. That's it. That's as far as it goes. And so this is not a part, even in our best ancient manuscripts, it's not there. But within a generation or two, by the end of the first century, this was the standard ending to the prayer, which could mean a lot of things. It could mean that Jesus actually said this, and it was just tradition, but it never made it into the scripts. We don't know. Or it, or it was implied. I mean, this is how you end a prayer like this, but it's not In the original but by the end of the first century this was the standard ending to the lord's prayer and so where does it come from like how did it how was it not there and then how did it get there and what does it mean well the best guess is that it comes from a prayer of king david that we find in the old testament in this uh historical document called first chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 and you can see some of this prayer on the screen. And you can see some of the phrases in there where it says, You, O Lord, uh, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. And he talks about victory. And if you see at the end, it's like, Yours is the kingdom. So there's a little bit of this same sort of, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory in the prayer of David. Now, this prayer was given at the end of David's life. And so the, they record this prayer as he's sort of passing on things to his son. But he's, this is at the end of his life. I mean, in the next chapter, he dies. And uh, they have a prayer of his recorded for us, and there's this extraordinary piece that you see on the screen where David, in his final days or months or weeks or whatever, is saying, everything is God's, my life, my accomplishments, everything, that, all the glory, all the power, all of that goes back to God. So I want to look at these three words just very quickly, kingdom, power, and glory, What do these mean? These are tricky words because in our world, they can be interpreted differently. A kingdom is something that you have to build, you have to construct, you have to take land to build a kingdom. You have to fortify it, it has to be strong. There's these things that need protecting. And to build a kingdom, uh, it takes, or to have a kingdom, it takes power to protect that. And if you're good at protecting your kingdom and building your kingdom, then you get the glory. Uh, It is not unlike today that we would assume that this nation or that nation is the greatest in history. Rome said this about itself. We've said this about ourselves. That we have built our kingdom, and we are powerful, and we are glorious. Because the the best kingdoms get the glory. The ones with the most power, they emanate glory. And so it's easy to see these three words and think that because that's our default. That's the way the world works. But as as always is the case with the gospel, is that it comes at us forcing us to look at the world upside down. It forces us to interpret things and see through the lens of the gospel story the world in which we live and to see it very differently, to see it almost opposite or upside down or in a totally different light. And these three words, kingdom, power, and glory, they're not about our kingdom or the power that we have or the glory that we get, but they are about God's glory. And so it's essentially that the run towards the amen in this prayer is that the ways of God, the ways of God's empire, as it were, would burst forth in the midst of this one, like that's what this means. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, like it's this hopeful prayer that the ways of God burst forth amid in, in the midst of our own world, that somehow heaven and earth would crash into one another and that heaven would shine through in our world. Like that's the prayer. Some, there's some tradition around that this doxology is a summation of the whole prayer. If you look at the prayer above it, that it's just a summary of the whole thing. That in saying all of these things and hoping all these things, your kingdom and your power and your glory will reign forever. Jesus was born in a fairly insignificant portion of the Roman Empire. An empire at the time led by Augustus, who was 60 at the time of Jesus' birth. His empire stretched so far that it would take a year to cross. So it's pretty expansive. Like it would it doesn't even take us that long to cross ours. So you're talking about a massive empire. And in this little insignificant corner of that empire, in a in essentially a part of the world where Rome was just babysitting, sending sort of has been kings or just knockoffs, people like Herod sort of watching over things and keeping things in check, this little baby is born and it throws at least locally herod for a loop if you know the christmas story herod like freaks out at the baby being born i mean he has leadership issues he has i feel threatened issues maybe you can relate or maybe you have a boss that you can relate to but um but i'm not that way i'm a great boss here but but herod freaks out and you know the story he has all these children killed because someone said where's the new king he's been born like it just throws him off why because that's his kingdom We don't have a new king in my kingdom that's not how it works it's quite subversive and risky to ask the current king where the new king is being born but that's what happens and he freaks out and he does what anybody who's trying to protect their kingdom does he tries to extinguish the threat no one's getting inside these walls and it's interesting because jesus is born in this little insignificant part of the empire but he comes such a such a significant part of the story Uh, N.T. Wright, in his book, On the Lord's Prayer, um, says this. He says, it is the prayer, this part about the kingdom and the power and the glory, it is the prayer that the alternative vision of reality may become not just a vision, but reality. It's the prayer that the baby in Bethlehem may be the reality of which Augustus is the parody. So Jesus becomes this frustrating person, and the kingdom of God becomes frustrating those who are running earthly kingdoms and so it, it can be this kind of subversive to say these words for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory that's a pretty subversive thing to say particularly in a country where we see ourselves as the kingdom and the power and the glory the lord's prayer has a problem with that and it can be difficult to say those words now in eight, uh, seventh grade, sixth grade, I was in the band. And here I am. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm the guy on your left with the drumsticks. Spiked hair, parted down the middle, looking pretty sweet. Do you see me? No. Just pick a person. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the bass drum is Charles. Charles is my neighbor. Uh, growing up, he lived across the street from me. And uh, he has the muscle shirt on, because just because. And uh, before I was in this band, I went to a school here in Brookhaven. They, I went to a place called Woodward Elementary School, right around the corner here. And then we moved to Decatur. But while I was at Woodward Elementary, I was in the band. I had just joined the band, and I wanted to play the drums because I heard, like somebody told me, that's who gets the girlfriends. But whatever. It didn't work out. That's a lie, by the way. <laughs> it turns out the strong football players But, um... <laughs> uh, but I was in the band and I wanted to play the drums and I had a snare drum and some sticks and I was really excited about it. But I don't think that I don't think the teacher, the music teacher, uh, knew anything about music. I don't think he knew how to teach it, uh, because literally the instruction I got was um, just hit them, just hit the things, and I was like, I can do that. And you guys go and I'll just follow along and we'll turn this thing into a. Gr-. That's how it was. It was like the music man all over. But. So I did that for a few months and then we changed schools and I went to this school. Well, this elementary school in Decatur was like a, it had a really good band. It was known for like going to competitions and winning things and they could all read music. It was extraordinary. And the, it, the word got to the band teacher that I played drums and she's like, oh, we need a new, we, we don't need a new drum, we need an additional drummer. And I was like, fantastic. So I brought my drum and, um, and my sticks and I went to band practice and Charles is there. Well, Charles has been the only drummer for a long time. And I set up shop over there, and they throw the music in front of me, which you know, I don't, I don't need this. Uh, you know, I felt really embarrassed because I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that is. You know, like, what, what is? And he's sitting there, and, and this is what he does. Um, he starts quizzing me like all these questions, like he's talking shop, and I don't even know what he's saying. He's like, Do you know the, do you know the flam diddle thing? And I was like, Yeah course you know we didn't have google i couldn't look it up then it was just like i just had to lie and go with it uh, do you know the paradiddle blah 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 the three four no I, I mean i said yes but i don't know and um literally for like the first few weeks i would just do what he did like i was just like this guy you know and he's like no you're doing it wrong but he would just quiz me like do you know how do you know what you're doing this is what i do Blah 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 what is he doing he's protecting his kingdom he doesn't want a new drummer in the band. He's, he's sizing it up. Do you know as much as me? I don't think you know as much as me. And if you don't know as much as me, just follow me. I'll help you out, which he won't, but I'll help you out. That's what he's doing. He's, he, has a, he has a circle around him, and you can't get in there. Because this has been my gig for a year or so. And you're new, and you don't know what you're doing, and I'm better. right? And so but I had better hair. (laughs) So it worked out. Um, But that's what he's doing. We all do that. We all do that. Like we uh, look for ways to assert that we're better. We're protecting what we feel like we might lose. Cross-country update for my son. He loves it. It It's his first year running in middle school. Uh, He's seventh grade. Gets to run with the high school team on Tuesday nights. He loves it. Comes home every day looking like death. Like just sweat. It's just nasty. But it's, it's fantastic. It's great stuff. And he's not the best runner on the team. Maybe third, second or third best runner. I don't know. He's not the best runner. The best runner's name is Matthew. And I know this because that's all he talks about. Well, they have to run these time trials to be able to run the meets because they, they only let 10 in from the team, and so I pick him up after the time trial day at school uh, last week, and he gets in the car, and he's like smiling, so I thought he did well, and I said, how were time trials? And he said, Matthew pulled a hamstring. <laughs> okay. You know, and I'm the parent, I'm like, is he okay? He's like, I don't know, he pulled a hamstring. Like, he wasn't here. He wasn't here. And I could sort of tell, and so I was like, so I wanted to get inside that a little bit and just said, "Are you are you happy about that?" And now he's now he knows what I'm doing, so he's like, "Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I hope he gets better, you know, after the meet. I hope like after the meet he gets better." And uh what is he doing he's doing what we all do right it's just he's trying to build his kingdom and so he's looking for holes in other people's kingdoms walls Matthew pulled a hamstring right you go to your class reunion oh cool she gained weight that's awesome (laughs) right? I got this right oh you lost your job that's too bad right That's what we do. We look for the weak bricks or the holes in the walls of people's kingdoms, and we like that because it keeps ours fortified. But when we say things like, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, it does away with all that. Like when it's my kingdom, I'm always afraid of losing it. Like everything that I've worked hard for, those things that give me influence or status, like when that's my stuff, when it's my kingdom, I'm always afraid that I might lose that. And so a lot of my life is just spent protecting that. Like when it's my kingdom, and these are just examples, and I'll just talk about me, but maybe you can relate, and I'm pretty sure that you can. But when it's my kingdom, like I no longer feel the need to apologize to you. Like, I think one of the greatest indicators that you're trying to protect your kingdom and that I'm trying to protect my kingdom is that I refuse to say that I'm sorry. Like, just think, this is not, I'm not trying to make you feel weird or bad or whatever, but maybe a little, but just, when was the last time you genuinely pulled somebody aside and said, I'm really sorry? Has it been a while? Or are you just that perfect where you don't do anything wrong? Or am I just that, like perfect, where I don't ever need to say, it, listen, I'm really, because if we say we're sorry, like we're admitting that we did something wrong, and I think one of the biggest indicators that our kingdom is more important than God's kingdom is that we refuse to say, I was wrong. Or when it's my kingdom, I have a hard time admitting failure, like my own personal failure, Or, and this is tricky, so try and understand this, or when I do admit it, when I do talk about my failure, it's couched in a way that actually elevates me. Like it's this kind of humble brag about things that are wrong with me, but I do it in such a way where it makes me actually feel superior. I think that's a really big indicator that my kingdom is more important god's kingdom or i know it's my kingdom when i feel the need to remind people of how really busy i am or stressed i am or how accomplished i am at the things i do or how educated i am like i I, that's just one of the things that like i tend to do and I, i can hear that in other people where it's like look i already know that you do that i already know that you're busy I already know that this or that. I already know that you've accomplished that. I don't need the reminder, but evidently you do. But I do the same thing. And I think I start to know that it's not God's kingdom, but my kingdom when I feel the need to keep telling you who I am. Or I know that it's my kingdom when I find ways to lessen the success of others. Or to even undermine it. Like to come up with some sort of excuse as to why they're winning and I'm not. I serve on a management team, a management team chair, can you believe this? Uh, For a new church that just started. Uh, And it's me and about five other people on this team and then the lead pastor. And we started this church up uh, north of here in, um, I don't even remember the county, Cherokee County. And again, because I don't go anywhere. But um, great church, it's called Thrive, and they started in this area called Holly Springs, which is kind of near Woodstock, Canton area, and I got asked to be on this management team, which, very humbled by that, because we're, we're holding it together here, but, uh, they don't know that, so, but very cool, very great to just sit with these guys, and like, really pray about this new church, and help them get started, and I went to the dedication service a few weeks ago, they did this Sunday night dedication service before they launched and it was like amazing, like their band is amazing, he's amazing, he looks good, he dresses better than me, like they got better lights, we were trying to steal stuff on the way out. And uh, they're in this like really cool, like high school where they're meeting and it's just really, you kind of just start envying like what they have and he's so organized and like the management team and myself, like every time we finish a meeting with him, we're like, he should he should be managing us, you know? And, literally this happens every time he'll we'll say we said so what's going on with your kids like how's that going to work on your opening weekend and he pulls out these documents and he's like this is the this is the structure and the system and the logos and we're all just like you know uh wow can you send that to us like literally (laughs) not pdf form we need the editable you know form for that so uh all that to say really cool to be on that management team but about six months ago We were in this meeting, just with pastors from the area, maybe 150 of us in this meeting, and my friend who was speaking that day says, uh, we have this goal to like plant 50 churches in, I don't remember the number of years, I should probably know that, but a lot of churches in a short amount of time, Uh, but he's talking about it, and then he says, um, and the, the next one going up is in Holly Springs near Woodstock. And, you know, which were, that's my church, that's the one I'm, yay! Uh, But there was a pastor in the room, That pastor's in Woodstock, and he raised his hand, and he was furious that they were putting another church near him. It really isn't that near him, but I think just because the speaker said a town that's near him, it freaked him out. And he lashed out at the... I mean, it was really an awkward moment. Furious that another church was coming into town. Does that sound weird to you? It sounds really weird to me. Especially when I'm walking distance from 10,000 people worshiping at Buckhead Church. Which, by the way, because my friend Billy, who's lead pastor there, I mean, we talk about this a lot. It's just like, I don't understand the competitive thing like we have a really good relationship with the churches around us particularly Buckhead Church very good friends of ours they don't feel threatened by us I don't know why they would but we don't I mean we don't feel I mean we don't feel that way about them they give us so much stuff we promise that one day when we have stuff we'll give it to them Uh, there's like there's a great relationship you know it's a great relationship don't feel that way i'm not trying to like say something you know how great we are but it's like i just i don't understand that particularly coming from a movement the christian church by the way a movement that is based in unity that's why there's no denominational name on the sign it's like forget it let's bring it back together and i'm just you know it was really awkward to be in that room and to hear someone really mad that there would be another space where people could worship But what is he doing? He's doing what we all do in some way. I've spent years building this. You're not going to breach it. I've spent years constructing this thing that I control. You can't get in. You can't ruin that. You can't change me. And you can't challenge me. And that's the danger with kingdom. There's this wonderful story. It's not on the screen. I just want you to hear me say it. But John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is at this point in his life where people are sort of confused as to who they should follow. Should it be John or should it be Jesus? And John senses this, and he says a few things, some incredible things, but the one you may or may not be familiar with, uh, in John chapter 3, he says, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, John saw his life as this slow fade out of scenery. And then when people saw him, if they saw anybody, they saw Christ in him. Like that's the goal for the journey of life. If you're a follower of Christ, like that's the fade right there. That it's a constant fade. Like I'm fading out, he's fading in. It's a constant dissolve, it's a constant shift. That as I'm walking this life and through this world and the places where I work and the neighborhoods that I live in, like it's a slow fade where people see less and less of me and more and more of Christ, which is what it means to pray for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That he must increase and I must decrease. Let me close with these couple things. They're on the screen so you can follow along. But a kingdom is forged in tireless effort taller wider it swells with power and power is what it will need for its own protection for glory comes to those who remain standing proud and victorious it's a cycle of fear and violence Kingdom, power, glory, these are realms that our world offers and promises and sells. You know this, I know this. And they are realms that we fight to protect and to keep. But they are not ours. They don't belong to us. As the prayer says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we take the Lord's Supper today, a physical announcement that God's kingdom has come, that God has loved us, that Christ came and died, rose again, that the renewal of the world is underway, that heaven is actually crashing into earth, and that his kingdom is actually coming, that his name is being made holy, that he is providing for his people, that forgiveness is available, and that there is an exodus from evil that god offers us and so to get us prepared for communion we'll just do what we've done before which i'll have you stand in a moment we'll just say the lord's prayer again together and then at the amen you can make your way to one of the four tables around the room to take the bread and the juice um, and then you can take it there or back to your seat and then we'll close uh, singing together let's all stand and i'll get us started as we say this prayer that The disciples of Jesus have been praying uh, since he gave it. So we'll say this together, and then you can make your way to one of the four tables. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name.